This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, Cutta Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be hearing from KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum. Then we'll be hearing an excerpt from an interview with local band Holdfast, and I'll be delivering some national news. After that, I'll be updating you on what Proposition 116 means for Colorado. Then we'll be hearing from the Collegian about new updates with the Cameron Peak Fire, and we'll hear from alumni Bill Lane about his experience at CSU in the 1970s. To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on COVID-19 and tech news, and I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello there. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local and campus news for today. Starting off with campus news, Colorado State University has received approximately $3.4 million in grants from the U.S. Department of Education to help fund the Academic Advancement Center and help students from institutionally marginalized backgrounds earn a bachelor's degree. According to Joe Giordano at CSU Source, the Academic Advancement Center, which has played a critical role in CSU's first-generation student success initiatives for more than 40 years, received funding for the next five years through the federal TRIO Student Services Support Program. The U.S. Department of Education renewed CSU's current five-year TRIO grant of $460,000 a year, which serves low-income individuals, first-generation college students, and individuals with disabilities. The center also received a new five-year grant of $220,000 a year dedicated to helping the same student communities who are pursuing STEM degrees. Fabolia Mora, director of the Academic Advancement Center and primary investigator on the TRIO grants, said the two grants in the Student Success Initiatives-funded program within the center help fund critical academic services to the nearly 500 students at CSU. She added that the new TRIO STEM grant has allowed for the center to hire two additional staff members to help support and mentor 120 STEM degree students. Mora said of the equation, quote, This is huge. Trio student populations are underrepresented and underdeserved in STEM fields. There are also significant graduation and retention gaps between first-generation low-income and students with disabilities in STEM majors. The additional resources will help the center continue addressing systemic inequalities that disparately impact by minoritized students in STEM, while also increasing our capacity to provide more intensive academic support. End quote. CSU faculty have come out with harsh criticism for CSU President Joyce McConnell's response to CSU athletic department concerns. According to Kelly Lyell at the Coloradoan, during an appearance at a faculty council meeting late Tuesday, Colorado State University President Joyce McConnell was grilled with questions critical of her handling of alleged racial insensitivity and violations of COVID-19 protocols and the handling of sexual harassment and assault reports by the university's athletic department. Their primary concern, several council members said in the virtual meeting, was about a letter they received early in the day from a female athlete at the school who said she and others, quote, do not feel safe or protected, end quote, from retaliation when speaking to Athletic Director Joe Parker, Deputy Athletic Director Steve Cottingham, and Senior Women's Administrator and NCAA Compliance Director Shalini Shanker about concerns they have. All three athletic department administrators came under fire by athletes and other staff members for their response to concerns about racial insensitivity and violations of COVID-19 protocols in the CSU football program and their handling of complaints of sexual harassment and assault involving athletes. The letter was also critical of McConnell, saying, quote, Her past actions and words have proven who she is interested in protecting in this matter, end quote. The faculty council has 80 voting members who represent each of the university's nine colleges and 52 non-voting members, including McConnell and other CSU administrators. There are 146 people in the virtual meeting Tuesday. Among the questions and statements at the situation for the meeting... Examples include when faculty council member Mary Mayer, a statistics professor, read a summary of a Coloradoan story about a civil lawsuit filed by then 19-year-old student against CSU alleging Title IX violations. 
The lawsuit alleges improper reporting of three separate reports she made of sexual harassment, that included unwanted touching and verbal abuse from a prominent donor during three football games last fall at Canvas Stadium. McConnell responded to many of the questions and allegations by saying that she couldn't comment on them at the time because the cases were all still currently in litigation. Moving on to local news, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, joined Colorado Governor Jared Polis during the state's livestream COVID-19 response info update Tuesday afternoon. According to Aaron Udell at the Coloradoan, Fauci said that while the state isn't the only one experiencing a COVID-19 spike, extra care must be taken in the coming weeks to tamp down an unexpected, quote, surge upon surge, end quote, largely fueled by recent Thanksgiving gatherings and travel. Nationwide, Fauci estimated the United States has been seeing between 100,000 and 200,000 new COVID-19 cases per day, between 1,000 and 2,000 daily deaths, and more than 90,000 hospitalizations due to the virus and the ongoing fall wave. In Colorado, hospitalizations and cases have been largely on the rise, with site stabilization and new case numbers seen in the days leading up to Thanksgiving. Colorado reported 4,405 new cases Tuesday, according to Governor Jared Polis. The state's all-time high daily case count was 6,584 on November 12th. Fauci said of the situation, quote, We have about a month or more of a situation where it is in our hands right now to see if we can mitigate it. Help is on, in fact, on the way. Once we get there, we can crush this outbreak just the way we do with smallpox, with polio, and with measles. We can do it. We just need to hang together a bit longer. End quote. Larimer County is preparing to launch a program aimed at bringing high-speed internet service to areas outside city limits with poor connectivity. According to Kevin Duggan at the Coloradoan, the county would work with a partnership with Front Range Internet Incorporated, a longtime internet service provider based in Fort Collins. With the help of advanced wireless technology, residents and businesses would have better internet access for working at home and doing schoolwork. The program would include subsidies for qualified low-income households, said Mark Plaffinger, the county's chief information officer, during a recent meeting with the Lerma County Commissioners. FRII has already installed advanced wireless technology on two towers that would help the program through improved signal strength, said Sandra Rodramel, this company's CFO. Last week, the commissioners directed $100,000 to the program into funding targeted for COVID-19 recovery. About $70,000 of the funding would be used to help low-income households with the cost of home installations and monthly service charges. Another $25,000 would go towards infrastructure, such as additional antennas, to boost the overall system. The remaining funding would be used to outreach to low-income neighborhoods about the program. With subsidies, the projected cost for a low-income household to receive 15 megabytes per second service would be $20 per month. That speed should be sufficient for most business uses and schoolwork, Plaffinger said. Plaffinger said about 280 households could be helped through the county's initial investment. Internet speed test data indicated four areas with particularly poor connections that would benefit from the program, north of Fort Collins, a mobile home park east of Interstate 25th in North Timnath, the Steeplechase neighborhood in East Windsor, and the Campion area south of Loveland. And that's all the local and campus news I have for today. My name is, I, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. Support for KCSU comes from the Alpha Center, located directly across campus, serving the CSU community. When life happens, help us here. For confidential testing and education, learn more by visiting thealphacenter.org. You just heard Local and Campus News with Ivy Winfrey. We'll be right back with sports news from Jonathan Gillum.
And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. Now for sports updates with Jonathan Gillum. Hello, everyone. It's Jonathan Gillum with your sporting news. Starting with the NBA, a big blockbuster trade just happened. The Washington Wizards and the Houston Rockets agreed to a trade essentially exchanging players with some picks the Wizards will receive. Also, Anthony Davis finalized his new contract with the Los Angeles Lakers, reported a five-year deal worth $190 million. Moving on to the NFL, Week 13 is beginning. There are constant reschedules players getting quarantined. It's been kind of a wild and dramatic NFL season. So I just wanted to give a friendly reminder to pay attention to your team schedule because it can change at any time. We're seeing the NFL reschedule games quickly um, and dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic in that sort of manner. Moving on to CSU news. CSU now has several sports back underway. The CSU Rams now have football, men's and women's basketball. The swimming team and volleyball is beginning to come out of the shadows, so to speak. While men's basketball is kind of having a rough start with canceled games, your CSU ladies basketball team is off to a 2-0 start. To find out more of when your Rams might be playing, that information can be found at csurams.com calendar, and they have all the events made available for all the fans out there. Missing that deep dive into sports, KCSU has you covered with two sports shows a week, online content, podcasts, and much, much more. If any of that is of interest to anyone, you can find more information at kcsufm.com. That's all I have for sports. For KCSU, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. That was Jonathan Gillum with some updates in sports. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back with some highlights from Maddie Erskine's interview with local band Holdfast. KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Maddie Erskine. Today, local alternative rock band Hold Fast has joined me in the station to chat. Thank you all so much for joining me. Uh, Let's start with some introductions so listeners can put a name to the voices. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm Tommy and I'm the drummer for Hold Fast. Hi, I'm Charlie and I play guitar and I sing. I'm Mikey and uh, I play bass and I sing. Awesome. Cool. So you guys have been a band for a very long time, um, like since 2011. Right. <laughs> uh, and um, so you've definitely grown a lot as people and as um, musicians and such. Uh, how do you think your music has changed other than obviously like an improvement of skills? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're like family first. So like we can't like break up as a band and then like just see each other at like Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm just trying to think of like where we started. I'd I'd say like early on like our music our our music has changed with our uh, taste in music. I'd say. Yeah, you found um, yourself like leaning oh. towards different genres. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. like in, initially early yeah we were like we were in huge you know we loved like the huge bands like Arcade Fire like 
as many yeah. members as they had on stage, you know, like, um, I remember Charlie was a huge fan of that. Um, uh, yeah, we, um, some of our earliest shows, we, we had more than, it was more than just the three of us. We would have other yeah. siblings and bandmates play with us. Um, you know, keyboard, violin. Yeah. Do you um, guys have more siblings? Uh, yes, yes, we all do. Yeah. We got nice. a big family. Nice. <laughs> yeah. We have like 35 or more cousins. Wow. At least crazy. Yeah. yeah local to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> That's but a lot. But some of our earliest shows was were, were very much styled after like the Arcade Fire style of bands. And, yeah. Um, a lot of shows, and as we have grown and our change, our tastes of music have changed. We realized that um, one is it's hard to coordinate a lot of people, mm-hmm. and and two that there's a lot that can be done um, with smaller amount of people, and as you know, different people have different dedications. Yeah. And our like our sound just kind of grew in terms of like. You know, moving away from Arcade Fire and like Radiohead and those bands, kind of yeah. towards like U2, uh, Coldplay, like Muse. Um, Some of the more, I guess, those classic three and four piece bands. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, if you each could play a different instrument, it can be like literally any instrument, which mm-hmm. one would you play and why? Ooh. Right? It's a fun one. Did we do? The concertina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from uh, Sea of Thieves. <laughs> oh my gosh! I was gonna say it's like a little orc accordion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so I, I was cool. actually gonna say that the hurdy gurdy. Is that the Did, same thing? No, the hurdy gurdy is the winding one. Oh, it's yeah. like oh. it's like the winding uh, string stringed instrument where you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's super yeah. fun. Um, I'd go didgeridoo. Didgeridoo, didgeridoo, <laughs> super cool. Definitely. Who didn't answer? I think we're missing one. I think we all did. Think you we did? did? Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I can't count. I can't count. I was like, there's four of us. <laughs> um, awesome. So next up, we're going to play your song, Walls, which is brand new. Uh, do you guys just want to talk a little bit about what that song is about? Yeah. It's uh, the first single that we're using to promote our first album. So it's actually like really exciting like to finally like be in this like promotional kind of yeah. space. Yeah, we've, like, had... we've been planning like these singles and this album for so long and and it's kind of nice to finally have like the video and the song out there yeah yeah most definitely uh, yeah but um walls i guess is one of our heavier songs um Mm -hmm. you know we we grew up next to each other in windsor colorado and this was one of the songs that we wrote like in my parents basement yeah just along with the rest of the album so it's kind of nostalgic for us because we recorded it like over a year ago and we probably made it like two years ago at least. yeah yeah so it's it's nice to finally to finally know, have share it out it with there friends yeah. and, and fans and and yeah kind of yeah. create a whole world around the album uh you guys just released this song a few days ago um and of course the music video with it uh i am wondering though how if you guys want to talk about about how that was filmed because it was super cool and not like abandoned dish it looked like a warehouse but it definitely wasn't a warehouse <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was crazy we uh so we got we hooked up with our producer's friend, Ryan Frazee, who's like an awesome uh, director and just film guy in the in the northern Colorado kind of film yeah. industry. And, yeah. and so we met with him and, and he had like this whole idea for for the for the song. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. And and he had this location, uh, the Masonic Temple yeah. in mind. And yeah. and yes, yeah, so like every every shot in the video is in that same building. It was kind of crazy. That's super. I was wondering also where you got the coffin from. Oh, um, yeah, we ended up like uh, we had to renting rent that. Yeah. <laughs> rented it? It was not used. It was, it was not, not used? used? Okay, I, th- I thought it was mildly used or well, something. Well, it was on display. So oh, it was a display. Yeah, it was like a display coffin, but yeah, no one had been in it before. Oh. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's super funny. Um, yeah, it was actually kind of comfy in there. Yeah, was it comfy? <laughs> yeah, they, it was springy. Yeah, and they had like pillows. <laughs> it was it was a nice coffin. I was that was like my first question when I watched it. I was like, I wonder where they got this yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. Like this is crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, and so this single is going to be a part of your debut album, Stay and Fight, um, which is coming out January eighth. Yes. Uh, what can fans expect with this upcoming album? Man, uh, this is our first album. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're just so excited to to finally you know share all the songs in one one spot like we we've been playing these songs at all our live shows yeah. for like i don't know last four three or four years you know yeah um but yeah it's it's like our first project we've worked on at the blasting room mm-hmm. uh with chris Beeble and and it just sounds awesome and we're just it's kind of weird for us because like 
we recorded it over a year ago, and, and now it's finally, you know, starting to come out. So we're just excited for everyone to hop along the journey with us. Yeah, it's cool, like, seeing people just as, you know, like, excited as we were initially when we made it. Yeah. But yeah. it's just weird. After a year passed, you know, you're like, whoa, like, yeah, the it, music's out now. It, <laughs> definitely. Um, is there reasons why you kind of waited on releasing? We, we, uh, we had, like, a another deal come up for a second album yeah <laughs> so we uh we needed to get this one out kind of you know before that one comes out later so we really have two unreleased albums like oh wow done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah i guess it's it's uh it, we just needed to have enough time to promote it and like with covid we were like you know we shouldn't just wait around to be able to tour we should just put it out there yeah and, definitely and have people listen to it and so, it's hard yeah. with covid too because a lot of album like a lot of promoting is uh, touring and right. is playing shows like that's right. a huge part of promotion um and you guys have played a few shows uh you just played the lyric or right yes yeah how was that yeah it was awesome we just we threw a release party uh rented out the lyric um it was really cool because they let us you know play the uh music video that we just did for walls um uh, yeah and yeah i gotta finally play some like live music that was just Exactly. Really, I think like, everyone's missing live yeah. music <laughs> yeah. quite a bit. That <laughs> yeah, was really great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what is like your big takeaway? What do you hope listeners kind of get from your music, both your newer stuff and your previous release stuff and just live shows? Just what, do, what impact do you hope to have on the people who listen? Man, well, with Walls, uh, I hope that like people can, you know, like with the message and the lyrics of the song, they can apply it to like, you know, their own experiences. Um, you know, like we really didn't want to to make this song, you know, too specific about anything, but hopefully people can resonate with its, you know, general message of putting up boundaries and, yeah, you know, protecting yourself or others and yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, we're just excited uh, to finally have it out there and see what people think. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So next up is Not Today, another acoustic tune from Hold Fast. Cool. Awesome. This one's Breathe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is breathe, not not today. That's my bad. <laughs> Oh, 
90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Oh. <laughs> that was Breathe by Hold Fast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Live and Local. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of let listeners know before we wrap up? Uh, other than that, uh, we, just, we just released our new single, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, on, it's available on Spotify and Perfect. YouTube. Uh, if listeners yeah. Yeah, are up for that, but yeah. Awesome, yeah. And, of course, I mean, unfortunately, there's not a lot of shows or anything coming up. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm excited to wait until January. Yes. Until yes. the next <laughs> album. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, listeners, if you missed any part of this session with Hold Fast, the full session will be up on our website, kcsufm.com, soon. Uh, I'm Maddie Erskine, local music director, and thank you for listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Thanks. Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> that was Maddie Erskine talking with local band Holdfast. We'll be right back. Need to know how to fix your bike but don't know where to begin? The Hex Wenches at the Fort Collins Bike Co-op can teach you how to take care of your bike in an inclusive space during one of the educational series in the spring or fall. Hands-on classes are welcome to cis and trans women, non-binary, genderqueer, trans, and queer folks. More information can be found on their Facebook page, The Hex Wenches, or email hexwenches at gmail.com. I'm joined by Sam Moshe from the Collegian about the Cameron Peak fire and it meeting full 100% containment. Um, so to start with, how large was the Cameron Peak fire at its peak and how many personnel were involved with the efforts towards containment? Hey, Goda. So the Cameron Peak fire at its, at its absolute largest reached over 200,000 acres. Um, it is the largest wildfire to have ever um, existed in Colorado history. Um, it set the record this year and it was followed uh, by also the record setting uh, East Troublesome Fire. Um, both these fires were really big, 200,000 acres, um, with over 1,500 personnel working on it at, at, at almost peak. Um, so that's various folks, but mostly wildland firefighters um, and officials who were helping with, with management of the fire. Um, so that's really just a small city of a camp of people working on that fire. All right, and then can you tell me a bit about what it means for the Cameron Peak Fire to be completely contained after months of fighting? Yeah, absolutely. So containment, which is if you look online, it ranges from zero to 100%. Um, and that's a really shifting number. People often point out it'll go up and down in one day. Um, but basically what containment means is it's the percentage of the perimeter of the fire um, that firefighters have been able to put fuel breaks in between. Um, and a fuel break is, is just a, a stretch of land where vegetation and fuels have been able to be cleared. Um, so that's really shifting. If there's a big wind gust, it might go down. Um, if you know they get lucky and there's a snowstorm that kind of holds things off for a bit and they have time to clear a lot of this debris, it might go up. Um, so after all these months, it means they were able to finally get a perimeter all the way around the fire that they're really hoping it won't necessarily be able to jump, um, which has really been helped by a lot of the, the cold fronts, but it's taken them a long time and a lot of efforts of working through day and night to get that set up. And then why was this fire season so much worse than our regular annual fire season here in Colorado? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, I mean, there's a bit of speculation around some of the reasons, but the ones we really do know is obviously Colorado has been in a, a really bad drought, like a lot of the rest for, for numerous years at this point. Um, the drought has, has impacted a lot of things, especially um, the ability for trees to uh, fight off a lot of the insects and stuff that, that have, have contributed to the fuels. Um, such as beetle kill is a big thing we have here, the issue in Colorado. I mean, something like over 60% of the East Troublesome Fire was just beetle kill. Um, which is just dead trees that have been impacted by beetle infestations that they go up in flames really quickly um, and they burn really hot. Uh, that, that along with um, lack of clearing of a lot of the fuels and a lack of, of ability to manage a lot of these fires um, has, has been a huge contributing factor. And then, you know, I, I was recently reading one of the, the Colorado forest chiefs, uh, the Colorado State um, Forest Service chiefs, had mentioned that 
you know, there, there's a big issue now with folks who live in areas that are, are forested and are starting to move into areas of Colorado that have a huge forest region um, who put out fires. And, you know, when you see a fire in your neighborhood, obviously you're going to report it, um, which means that the natural fires, which were so essential for maintaining fuel capacities, don't happen as often. Um, there's a lot more dead debris on the ground because those natural ones that, you know, are, are now near people's homes uh, don't have the chance to really clear out a lot of the stuff that can lead to these massive fires. And then for the final question, um, where exactly was the Cameron Peak fire burning and how did the ash regularly make it into Fort Collins? Sure, yeah, so the, the Cameron Peak fire started in uh, Roosevelt and Arapaho uh, National Forests, which are just uh, a little bit west of, of Fort Collins. Um, and, you know, at, at its largest, it had grown pretty close. I mean, only, I think, it was like a little over 10 miles from Forge Tooth at one point. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty close to Fort Collins in a lot of ways. Um, but really, that, that main area around Cameron Peak, hence the name. Um, now, what that meant was, A, we were really close proximity to a lot of the smoke on a lot of days. Um, and a lot of the ash, we were able to, you know, a lot of us woke up clearing our cars and uh, off of ash for the first time in our lives. Um, it also had a, a pretty big impact because depending on the, the, this, the, the temperature of the day, um, the distance of the smoke and, and how far the smoke was, was going up before it drifted into the city was really dependent. Um, it was usually heavier in the mornings and, and heavier at night than it was during the day, which a lot of people noticed. Um, which has a lot to do with the, the temperature of just the fire and, and how high it burns before it drops, um, which a lot of the atmospheric folks have been studying. But a, a lot of the impact of, of the ash did come from the fact that, A, we were in such close proximity, but we had so many days that it was, it was pretty warm, right, when this happened. And, you know, a lot of us throughout a, a lot of the evenings would start to experience, you know, this on and off where the smoke would be terrible one minute and then clear the next day, um, which made for a, a pretty hectic couple of months for a lot of folks living in Fort Collins. All right, thank you so much, Sam. Of course, thank you. All right. Girl, I'm feeling some college radio vibes. Oh, I got you, BB. You know that college radio is more than just the Coachella lineup, right? It's also like metal and sports and EDM and news and jazz and KCSU, where college radio is more than just college radio. I'm Koda Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for December 3rd. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The U.S. Senate has introduced a resolution to prohibit slavery as a punishment for crime, according to the Associated Press. The 13th Amendment, while outlawing most forms of slavery, has an exception that allows for imprisoned people to be enslaved as part of punishment. This resolution would remove the language within the 13th Amendment that allows for this exception. Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon told the Associated Press that the 13th Amendment, quote, continued the process of a white power class gravely mistreating black Americans, creating generations of poverty, the breakup of families, and this wave of mass incarceration that we still wrestle with today, end quote. The resolution was also introduced in the House of Representatives. Current co-sponsors in the Senate include Senators Bernie Sanders, Edward J. Markley, and Chris Van Hollen. The clause allowing for prison slavery allowed for the criminalization of black Americans post-slavery, allowing for them to be arrested for crimes as petty as having unkempt children. Money from the Payment Protection Program, also referred to as PPP, was shared unevenly with just 1% of borrowers receiving over a quarter of all funds. The PPP was a small business relief program run by the federal government. According to Stacy Cowley and Ella Coase at the New York Times, new data released by the Small Business Administration earlier this week showed that only 1% of the total 5.2 million borrowers received more than a quarter of the total $523 billion loaned. The program was intended to support small businesses, especially those with under 500 workers, from shutting down during the height of the pandemic. In April, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that non-unanimous jury verdicts are unconstitutional, but they did not say whether or not this would impact previous cases that had non-unanimous jury decisions. According to Nina Totenberg from National Public Radio, justices debated this Wednesday about if this ruling should apply to the thousands of prisoners in Louisiana and Oregon where courts allowed for non-unanimous jury decisions in criminal cases. Justice Elena Kagan agreed that the new rule must be binding to both future and past cases, and Justice Clarence Thomas believed that there may have been racial motivations in some previous cases allowing for non-unanimous decisions. It is unknown exactly how many current prisoners would be impacted by the new ruling. 
Six people were reported missing after a mudslide in Haines, Alaska on Wednesday. Many homes along the hill where it occurred are now uninhabitable, according to Amir Vera and Andy Rose from CNN. 30 people have been evacuated as of Wednesday, and Alaska State Troopers, Alaska National Guard, and the U.S. Coast Guard are working together in the search and rescue mission. In a written statement, the mayor of Haines, Douglas Allerud, said, quote, We have several roads that have washed out, mudslides, and houses flooding, end quote. According to a post on the Haines local government Facebook, the next 24 hours have a high risk for additional landslides. That's all for national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now for an explanation of Proposition 166 with my co-host, Ivy Winfrey. The election has come to a close, and Colorado voters in 2020 voted in favor of quite a few ballot measures. We at KCSU have prepared a series of segments devoted to discussing the future impact of each of these ballot measures. Today, we will be discussing the purpose and possible impact of Proposition 116, also known as the decrease income tax rate from 4.63% to 4.55% initiative. Proposition 116 is fairly self-explanatory. It decreased the state income tax rate for individuals, estates, and trusts from 4.63% of federal taxable income to 4.55% for tax years commencing on and after January 1, 2020. The measure also reduced the tax rate for domestic and foreign C corporations, which are corporations that pay income tax, operating in Colorado from 4.63% of Colorado net income to 4.55%. Proposition 116 originated as a response from Republican legislators to a different tax idea from Democratic legislators that would have raised taxes for the highest earners. Progressive groups failed to gather enough signatures to put their measure on the ballot, while Prop 116 supporters stayed the course. Opponents of the bill said that a cut in state government income would reduce critical services and hurt Colorado's economy and quality of life. Colorado has already taken a deep budget hit as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, with significant cuts made to education, transportation, and health care. Opponents note that most of the tax savings from Prop 116 benefits wealthy individuals and corporations much more than it does the average Coloradan. Supporters of the bill say that allowing taxpayers to keep more of their earnings would promote spending, business investment, and employment. They note that the state government spending grows each year and say the money would be better spent to help struggling families. Colorado taxpayers pay the same tax rate regardless of income. For the past 20 years, the rate has been a flat 4.63%. This proposal keeps the flat rate, but lowers the rate for everyone, individuals and corporations. A taxpayer with $50,000 in taxable income would save $40 per year, and $1 million in taxable income would result in an $800 state income tax cut. Income taxes are the main source of funding for the state's general fund. Now that it's passed, Colorado expects to see a 1.2% cut in the 2021-2022 budget year, which works out to around $150 million. The immediate impact on the current government fiscal year is an estimated $200 million. Colorado Governor Jared Polis reacted to the passage of the proposition in an interview with Colorado Public Radio, saying, quote, We would love to cut the income tax more, but even with what the voters did, we're interested in working with them to backfill it by eliminating tax loopholes and tax expenditures to make sure that there is no revenue lost to the state by reducing the income tax level, end quote. Information for this segment was collected from Ballotpedia in Colorado Public Radio. To find out more information about all the ballot initiatives passed this year, you can visit Ballotpedia.org. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. You just heard an explanation of Proposition 116. We'll be right back with an archival piece done for a collegian alumni, Bill Lane. Can you tell me a bit about your career as a photojournalist during college and perhaps after? I started off originally in animal husbandry, 
and then found out I would have to take like four semesters of um, physics and soils and the rest. I decided, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So I switched to journalism. The only students that were allowed to take photography were journalism students. So when I took the class, Terry Bishotti was the head photographer and he wanted a second photographer. He hired me to be a photographer. We got paid like $2 for every photograph that we took that was used, plus ad work. And Terry hated doing ad work because we had to use a five by seven and do multiple copies and white out all the black dots and stuff. So he hated it, but I didn't mind because it left, left me lots of time in the dark room. And I would end up staying till two or three o'clock in the morning because I'd do all my work. We had to have everything done by like 10 o'clock. And then I would spend the rest of the time in the dark room doing my own photos. Probably the biggest <laughs> event in my photography career was when Old Main burned down. And I just had a feeling, so I took three cameras, bag with extra lenses and probably 15 or 20 rolls of film and went over to Old Main and got the first wall collapsing and then pictures of Old Main actually burning. And then the newspaper had an edition that had nothing but pictures of Old Main and all but one were mine. So for me, that I felt that was quite a coup to get that many of my pictures in the paper where Terry didn't get any as a head photographer. We had another little incident um, Terry's idea, and I'm, I'm not knocking Terry, but his, his idea of taking pictures was just to take one or two shots, regardless of whether they were good or not. And he did a picture of one of the sorority queens that every spring they would elect a queen for that spring. And the woman was probably 4'11", little tiny, petite, blonde, blue-eyed, gorgeous little woman. And he took a picture that made her look ugly. <laughs> and at 6.30 the next morning, got a call from the uh, sorority's attorney and said that they were going to sue the newspaper because of the way this woman was portrayed in this photograph. So he called me and said, you know, you go run this young lady down and you spend all day. She gets a picture that she likes. And then the next day we ran a five by seven on the front page of the newspaper with an apology dictated by the attorney. And it took me till, I don't know, 9.30 at night. And she said, I just can't make up my mind. You just pick one. It's like, no, 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 no. The attorney said, you have to pick a picture. Then we have the uh, Black Panthers. And I'm kind of just kind of jumping around. A.R. Chamberlain, who was the, the president at the time of the university. He and I were in a meeting with the Black Panthers and I've got my camera and AR's, you know, just got his paper. And what they had demanded of AR was that he go to the Mormon, because he was a Mormon. They said, you have to go to the Mormon church and get them to let Blacks join the Mormon church. And AR's going, guys, I'm just a member of the church. I can't, you know, but. Um, All right. So since you brought up the old man fire, um, what's the most prominent memory that you have of that? It was a very horrid experience um, to see a building that was set by arson and destroyed um, this old building. I left my girlfriends and went over and took my cameras and that and shot the first wall collapsing and then through the whole fire. Um, and it was... As, as a new photographer, it was very challenging to get different pictures. You're kind of limited to how close you can get because the firemen were keeping you, you know, like 100 yards away. So you're using a, you know, a 200 and 300 millimeter lens, you know, so you can get in close. One of the shots that we did was of the firemen in a ladder truck pumping water. Um, Several of the pictures getting the flames coming out of the roof. In the, and it had like, I, if I remember right, it was like the old red tiles, you know, on the roofs. But I got the flames coming out between the tiles. Um, and trying to stay as close as possible, but avoiding the firemen and the police. 
it was a very interesting evening from the perspective of watching something burn and recording it. And then even better, when we did the addition on Old Main to have all the pictures that were mine. How did you balance your identity as a student and a collegiate photographer when you were photographing and reporting on major campus events? I'm going to kind of give you an example. When I was doing pictures of the sorority queen, and then I went to the editor and said, hey, how about if I just go around and take pictures of different women and then you can pick whoever you want. And it got to a point that I couldn't get any candid shots because as soon as you showed up with your camera, there were several girls going, who's that jerk? You know, to, to the other girls that they're going, eh, don't worry about it. He's just going to take our pictures. And who knows, you might see your picture in the newspaper tomorrow. But it got to a point that I couldn't get any candid shots. The academic, it didn't really affect my academics uh, because most of my I'd set up most of my classes preferring to have early morning classes like eight, nine, 10. And then you have the rest of the day to do whatever. I, I think I ended up with probably my grade slipped probably my junior year, but I ended up with like a two seven or two eight final GPA. So the photography didn't really affect my grades. It gave me a lot of access to things that I never would have done or had access to if I had not been a photographer. How are members of student media treated when you were a part of Collegian? Did you, were you at all socially isolated by any means, um, not no. able to events, things like that? No. I didn't have any problem being accepted at events. And most people recognized that I would take enough time to get a good picture. I got to meet a lot of people from a lot of different lifestyles and it was just a very interesting job. How does it feel to have been heavily involved in breaking news events with the collision that became part, like important parts of CSU's history? You know, I really didn't think about it at the time because I was so involved in taking the pictures, getting them developed, getting the editor to pick them and doing the best that I could to represent whatever the event was. What were your favorite events to photograph, do you think? I'd say sports. It was hard, well, two sports that were hard, basketball and football were really easy to take pictures of. I mean, you just, you developed a sense of timing, had a number of pictures that were published in the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post. In the uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, one, they had, I think, I can't remember whether we had eight. I got a lot of stuff published from sports. The Rocky Mountain News said, we need a picture of the quarterback throwing the ball and the receiver catching it, and then the referee signaling touchdown. I said, yeah, got all three of those. And it was, we had no motor drives at the time. It was just however fast you could work the shutter. Did you ever get anxious when preparing to go report on these major events? Um, I know that most journalists, especially earlier on in their careers, do get some anxiety going around with a camera and just showing up at events where people might not be totally comfortable with that. What were your feelings? I didn't have any problem with it. Like I said, with the sorority and the women and the sports, the sports and stuff were easy. And when you went to demonstrations or riots or you know, the meeting with the Black Panthers or whatever. It was just a job. You know, and I just kind of looked at it as that. It's like, you just went and you took the pictures and then you went back and kind of went on. So I, I wasn't anxious about that at all. Of course, the only, the only time I was anxious was that one of the reporters was supposed to have shown up to a meeting and all I was there to do was to take pictures. So I didn't take any notes or anything. I came back and they said, oh, the reporter didn't show up. So you need to give us uh, five inches of you know, copy. <laughs> and it's like, I don't have the foggiest clue what to tell you. I wasn't a reporter, I a journalist reporter. I was just a photographer. And if you wanted anything else, since I was just, I looked at myself just as a photographer and not as a, as a reporter. Okay. So they were very disappointed in me with that, with that particular meeting. I just want to know if there's anything you'd like to add, things that you'd like to say about your time at the Collegian, the events you covered, anything like that. I set out to do my best to record the event so that it was represented fairly.
and we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Sam Moshe, who had updates on the Cameron Peak Fire. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is the COVID-19 update for Thursday, December 3rd. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of over 1,500 cases since May of this year when they began recording. Larimer County is currently reporting over 10,000 cases and 75 deaths related to COVID-19. There are 182 outbreaks in the county, which is currently rated as having a high-risk score and a severe risk status on the state's dial system. There have been 184 new cases in the past 24 hours, and every day in the past two weeks has had over 15 new cases. Six days in the past two weeks have seen over 10% of cases come back, or 10% of tests come back positive, and the state's 14-day case rate is at 847 per 100,000 residents. For reference, 100 residents per 100,000 is considered high. There are 119 COVID patients in the hospital, and overall hospital utilization is at 78%, while intensive care unit usage is at 75%. The state of Colorado is asking that residents cancel gatherings with those outside their homes, wear a mask when they go out, and stay at least six feet from people outside of their household at all times. 1.7 million people have been tested for COVID-19 in the state of Colorado, and there are over 2,300 total outbreaks. Colorado averages at over 4,000 new cases each day, making it one of the states currently carrying a high COVID-19 risk. In Colorado, cases are currently high and not going down. The CDC has shortened its quarantine recommendations from 14 days to 10 days for potential exposures. This is dependent on whether or not a person experiences symptoms and what their COVID-19 test results are. Dr. Henry Walk, the incident manager for the CDC's COVID-19 response, said, quote, A shorter quarantine period can lessen the stress on the public health system and communities, especially when new infections are rapidly rising, end quote. Symptoms should still be watched for and closely monitored for the full 14 days after an exposure, even if quarantine periods are shortened. The first 10 days are when newly infected individuals are most likely to become contagious for COVID-19. The United States has over 13.9 million cases of COVID-19, and Wednesday, nearly 200,000 cases were added onto that number. Deaths have reached over 273,000 with an increase of nearly 2,900 on Wednesday. Hospitalizations have surpassed 100,000 nationwide. Cases have gone up by 1% overall in the past two weeks, while deaths and hospitalizations have both increased by about 30% in the past two weeks. Both Halloween and Thanksgiving have correlated with new spikes in cases, and pandemic experts are expecting a horrible winter as the nation waits for widespread access to a vaccine. Information for this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, National Public Radio, the Centers for Disease Control, and the New York Times. Currently, the only ways to protect yourself and those around you is to wear a mask, stay home when possible, keep social distance when leaving the house, wash your hands for at least 20 seconds, and frequently wipe down surfaces. In addition to this, people who are feeling sick should stay home unless leaving to receive testing or necessary medical care. For more information on COVID-19, you can visit cdc.gov coronavirus. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Now for tech news. The National Labor Relations Board has said that Google unlawfully spied on and fired employees involved in labor organizing. According to Shannon Bond at National Public Radio, Google violated federal laws by spying on employees, specifically employees who had viewed presentations from labor unions. They had also maintained other policies that were created to prevent workers from unionizing. Two employees were fired for union activities, despite a federal law guaranteeing workers the right to organize for the improvement of working conditions. The National Labor Relations Act was passed in 1935 to protect the labor rights of employees nationwide. In a statement, Google said that they are, quote, confident in our decision and legal position, end quote. They also said that the employees fired were in, quote, serious violation of our policies and an unacceptable breach of a trusted responsibility, end quote. Amazon has a new artificial intelligence device that can check if workers are maintaining social distance and wearing face masks, according to BBC News. The program, the Panorama Box, is expected to be sold to companies as a way of monitoring employees to ensure a safe and healthy working environment during the pandemic. The program takes on a similar role to those checking the number of customers in a store at a time. It involves a box being added to security cameras. The box then detects distance and mask use using different applications. 
Privacy advocates have voiced concerns related to the nature of the device, especially as remote work has made some businesses depend on employee tracking services. The Bitcoin has hit a new record, according to Nathaniel Popper at the New York Times. Three years ago, Bitcoin's value hit a peak at over $19,000. Now, one Bitcoin is back to an equivalent of over $19,000. At the beginning of the pandemic, its value sunk dramatically as fears over COVID-19 began. Bitcoin is a digital, stateless currency that is commonly used in criminal markets, but also highly valued by some investors due to its stateless characteristic. Some regulators have worked to make cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin safer and more accessible, and one American regulator has allowed for banks to hold cryptocurrencies, and PayPal has joined other banks to begin offering the service. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tech News. That was Tech News with Coda Babcock. We'll be right back to conclude our show with weird news and our weather report. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes we need to get a little bit weird with it. So see, here's some of the weirdest news I've heard today here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. A backlash over a city council's plan to underwrite 100,000 euros of funding on the unveiling of Margaret Thatcher statue has prompted more than 1,000 people to promise they will turn up at a egg-throwing contest on the same day. According to writers at Sky News, members of Kastavan District Council's cabinet will be asked on Tuesday to approve the spend for an event to unveil the monument to the late former Prime Minister in Grantham Town Center. The 300,000 euro bronze statue, created by sculptor Douglas Jennings, will be placed on a 10-foot high plinth to prevent vandalism, making the entire structure over 20 feet tall in total. Counselors say the sculpture will be a fitting tribute to the Iron Lady, who was born and brought up in the town, and that the local authority will seek to raise as much of the 100,000 euros as possible through donations from the public and local businesses. But the potential outlay sparked anger among critics who suggested it was excessive during a time of national hardship. A story posted by local news website The Lincolnite triggered hundreds of responses on social media, with many expressing anger and others threatening to attack the statue. Twitter user Sammy said, quote, Wasting 100,000 euros on a future rubble pile in the middle of a pandemic, which is being used as a justification to completely wipe out public spending. If you have to put the statue on top of a 10-foot plinth because literally everyone hates it, maybe consider not buying the statue. Another user, Patrick O'Reilly, wrote, The more I think about this, the less I see it as a piece of sculpture, the more I see it as a 100,000 euro incentive for radical performance art. Meanwhile, more than 8,000 have responded to the egg-throwing contest advertised on Facebook at the time of writing, with more than 1,100 vowing to attend. The no organizer of the event, Kans Arif, said in an accompanying post, quote, Boys, girls, and me non-binaries, we will be holding contests for egg-throwing, lasso-throwing, and potentially graffiti art. Where are we doing this, you might ask? Well, in the wonderful city of Grantham, and we have a special target being made currently. A beautiful statue of the Iron Lady, now a family-friendly event, so please be respectful and pick up your litter. End quote. The United Kingdom's culture secretary has said in an interview that he will be writing to Netflix to demand they play a quote-unquote health warning before every episode of The Crown, which is Netflix's drama based on the life of Queen Elizabeth, so that viewers are aware that the show is a work of fiction. According to Lanair Becker at The Guardian, UK Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said that without the caveat, younger viewers who do not live through the events might, quote, mistake fiction for fact, end quote, following complaints that the fourth series of the drama had abused its artistic license and fabricated events. He told the Mail on Sunday, quote, 
It's a beautifully produced work of fiction, so, as with other TV productions, Netflix should be very clear at the beginning that it is just that. Without this, I fear a generation of viewers who do not live through these events may mistake fiction for fact." End quote. At present, viewers are warned that the show contains nudity, sex, violence, and suicide references, and is suitable for viewers who are 15 and older. The movie was derided by historians including Professor Kate Williams, who said it sounded like a distraction. Alex von Tunzelman, a historian who wrote the Real History column for The Guardian, wrote, Netflix already tells people that The Crown is a fiction. It's billed as a drama. Those people in it are actors. The historical drama's fourth season, which focuses in the late 1970s and 80s, has evoked much criticism. Accusations of inaccuracies in The Crown span from repeatedly showing the Queen, quote, wrongly dressed for trooping the color, uh, end quote, to disputes over Charles's fishing technique. The Crown has also been praised for presenting the royal family as, quote-unquote, real people. Others have pointed out that Charles's and Diana's infidelity and marital problems are well-recorded, including interviews they both gave. Netflix declined to comment, but a source with The Guardian said it had been widely reported that The Crown was a drama based on real-life events. And that's all the weird news I have for today. I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Alright, this is true. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Metal Militia. And now for the weather. Today we experienced a high of 48 and a low of 27 degrees with sunny skies and winds peaking at 6 miles per hour. Tomorrow it'll stay sunny, but warm up a bit with a high of 57 and a low of 28, same wind speeds as today. The weather will remain about the same with highs in the 50s and lows in the late 20s to early 30s until Tuesday, when it'll be warming up to 60 degrees for the high and 36 degrees for the low with 7 mile per hour wind speeds. No chance of rain at all from this week to ne- into next Tuesday. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Corrin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.